My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I feel like after that prayer, we could probably just go home and feel filled. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Um, before we get started, every single Sunday, I have been here, but also Sunday nights preaching um, most weeks at the uh, church plant that we are currently partaking of uh, in the North Brick area. Um, So the idea here is I'm here this morning. Uh, One of our pastors, Pastor Eric, will be there tonight delivering the word. Um, What we're doing here, both churches have the same name, Redeemer Fellowship. We're working on how to identify it, you know, probably by township, like Redeemer, Tom's River, Redeemer, you know, Brick, if we wind up um, forever in Brick. And uh, within these two churches, the idea is that we're going to have, each church will have its own leadership, right? They'll have some... Um, autonomy from one another, but at both churches are going to be having the same uh, sermon series, the same mission, the same vision. Uh, what's happening here is, is awesome. We want to take what's happening here and just multiply that throughout various townships on the Jersey Shore. And so uh, please be praying for that. Um, in, a, in about, a, uh, I don't know, a month and a half, about two months, we're going to be, after Easter, looking to start uh, Sunday morning services at this new work. We right now we're having between anywhere from 20 people to 40 people kind of back and forth coming out. And uh, I've been just, uh, I have the privilege to de- start developing relationships with a lot of people who aren't in church on that side of town. And uh, the Lord is just doing some really cool stuff. So um, please keep that in your prayers as uh, we continue that new work of planting churches. How awesome is that? Planting churches. All right. We are in Colossians. And I'm a really relaxed guy, for those of you who know me, but man, I am really excited this morning. So, Paul, uh, he's continuing his letter like he always, almost always does in his books. He writes to the church by way of encouragement, introduction, then he gets to the very um, purpose and center of the Christian life, to that where he always redirects people to because of what Jesus and who he is and what he has done Because of what has already taken place, therefore you are to live your life according in this way. And so now we're into not just some of the meat of Colossians, but this is one of the most important texts in the entire Bible, one of the most meaty texts in the New Testament. It is really an incredible meaty portion of Scripture. So by way of introduction, um, The first verse says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Paul is comparing the image of Christ, all right, something real, physical, and tangible to the invisibility of God. And in this way, all right, it is easy to point out the idea of the perfect man or the ideal man, right? Or in fairy tales and in movies and things as we see the man or the person that everyone is seeking, looking for, wishes for, wants, desires. Uh, when I was a kid, I think like uh, hero movies were a little more popular than today. Like I used to love these, I don't know if, I'm 30, right? So I don't know if, I'm not quite a millennial, quite Gen X. I'm a zennial, they call us now. I didn't know this, but that's where I'm at. I was, my childhood was before cell phones and before internet, you know, so I'm like in this weird middle generation. But when I was a kid in the 90s, um, I love these cheesy movies. They were Hulk Hogan starred in all these like really lame like B movies. 
and um, I think one was called, like, called Commando, and he's this like alien guy who came to Earth, and you know, it was really awful. If you watch him now, you're just like, oh, these are so bad. When you're a kid, you see this huge burly guy who's just fighting the bad guys, beats everybody up. There's no contest, right? And you're like, yeah, that's awesome. But little boys like crave hero figures. Like they want to look up to somebody. My above all favorite, which maybe probably many other men in this room, is Indiana Jones, right? That's right. Pushing on. He would face the most impossible, ridiculous, like hang on the rope. There's a tank rolling and he's like bouncing. But he still somehow comes out on top. Almost falls off this cliff. No, he's hanging on by a vine. He never dies. He always escapes death. And he always beats everybody. He's not a perfect guy, but the whole movie, you're just like, yeah, yeah, right? If you're a little older than me, you had the Clint Eastwood, the, the John Waynes, the Steve McQueens. There's some more, yeah, there we go, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So in real history, all right, we also have like real life heroes, right? And if you're a man or a woman, if you read about these women in history, these are incredible women. We have women like Joan of Arc, whose story is almost above reality, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, if you read her story, it's incredible. Elizabeth I, Catherine the Great, in American history, women like Abigail Adams, Harriet Tubman, these figures that are indeed larger than life figures. Their their stories are almost unbelievable. Their intellect and courage and achievements are almost otherworldly, all right? But something's happening as our uh, democracy kind of gets older and older. Um, We're becoming skeptical of having these kind of heroes today. Um, Inside of a democracy, there's two important things. There's freedom and there's liberty with the ultimate goal of equality across the board. And what happens when this happens is someone who is larger than life, even in real life, we immediately are skeptical of and want to find their faults and make them more real and like us. For example, I read um, recently uh, a little biography on George Washington. It wasn't huge. It was just kind of like, you know, a medium-sized book. When I was finished reading it, I had the impression that George Washington was a um, kind of a, a guy who completely lacked self-control, his temper was completely just out of control, and he died an alcoholic. And some of those things may be true, but that was my impression of the guy when I finished reading the book. And I'm like, what? Of all the things he accomplished, like that's what the author wants me to take home, is he was this raging alcoholic who had an out-of-control temper and he was a little crazy sometimes. Of all the things he did. So all these biographies coming out today, like we're trying to make these, this desire we have for a hero and these even people in history, we're trying to make them, well, they have faults. Come on, they're not really that amazing. And so what happens is if you read uh, equivalent books written 100, 200 years ago, people would have called those books, if there's a biography written like in the 1800s or such, we would call that fanboy literature today, you know. Oh, they're just fanboys. They're not, you know, writing the truth. They're ignoring his faults and writing only about his good things. And I mention this because we all desire that larger-than-life figure, right? We all do. When Indiana Jones first came out, uh, well, if that movie came out today, I've watched it recently. There's just so many plot holes, and it's it's just like, you know, obviously it's unbelievable. But um, when it first came out, It was actually nominated for, like, Best Picture. Did you guys know this? If it came out today, it would have been like, this is a kid's movie, it's a joke, because we like our movies real today. We want something that's, like, that's so real, right? We we don't want to see something that's a little bit above 
our realities. We don't want to see something that's kind of like in our imaginations. That's, that's not real, but that's really cool. We don't want that stuff anymore. We want something that just makes it so real and so graphic and so relatable, right? Because we're looking for that kind of equality. We're trying to make these larger-than-life figures something more tangible. We're in danger of suppressing our natural desire for heroes. But nevertheless, there's still um, strings in our culture that are still obsessed with these kind of heroes. Think of all these Marvel movies coming out. They're slated this year, six more released to come out this year alone. Um, Robert Downey Jr. has played Iron Man eight times. Think about that. Eight movies. And people are still spending hundreds of millions of dollars to watch him play the same character, right? We're still kind of obsessed with this, right? Desire for these larger-than-life figures. It's still there. Even if our culture is kind of suppressing a little more, it's still there. And I say all that to, to say this. It's hard for us to really engage this portion of Scripture and really absorb what it is saying. But find, if you're sitting here, find those little girl, little boy desires inside of you, right, that was searching for that kind of ultimate human being, right? We're naturally on the hunt for them. If you think about this, why is that? Like sometimes we, um, that idea is in our, our minds, you know, like the classic, a lot of these uh, heroes like Superman and such, they came out during like Captain America, right, during World War II when evil was happening, the war was in turmoil, and people were looking like, what if there was like a Superman who could come and just, you know, supernaturally just destroy all these kind of like, we, we've been looking for this person, right? And why is that? Why can we conjure up an image of somebody that is not quite human, but he is human, but he can do things or she can do things that we just simply cannot. Why, are we, why, why is that image even there? Why is that seed all throughout history? If you think of all these fairy tales that everybody loves, right, that we've read about so many times. Um, we've been writing these kind of stories forever and forever. Um, what is the, the, oldest, the oldest story? Um, my wife and I read it. Now I'm blanking on it. Um, the uh, uh, whatever anyway so for a long time we've been writing these stories okay C.S. Lewis famously said this if we have desires within us that nothing in this world can satisfy all right catching on with me here is only a hint that there are other realities that I'm paraphrasing his quote there's a hint that there are other realities that exist realities superior to ours and realities that we are actually looking for but are actually real. If we have this desire for this man or woman in our minds that's kind of above, C.S. Lewis to say, well, maybe it's real. Maybe they're there somewhere. They actually exist. And we've been looking for them ever since we can write down stories. We've been writing stories like this. I read this recently about J.R. Tolkien, and he has a, um, a little essay called On Fairy Tales. And uh, I love one of my favorite authors. He, he says there are around three common themes in fairy tales. All right? Just listen to these. And these three things have been capturing imagination for millennia upon millennia. A character who avoids death or somehow even defeats death. Number two, a sort of love relationship that almost seems supernatural in character. A love relationship that's almost like in, in your dreams, right? And the third thing, of course, good triumphing over evil. All right? If you think of so many movies you've seen, you just name like 100 movies, right? The plot line is right there. 
If you think about it, yeah, he, he's correct. So why is this? So we all desire this superhuman figure who can somehow avoid death in the most dangerous situations, bravely facing it and somehow conquering it, falling in love and having, as a result, the most magical love relationship ever experienced, and ultimately defeating the evil in the world. Now, keep all those things in mind of that kind of heroic, uh, supernatural figure, all right? And now let's dig into this passage. And what we are going to find, all right, is that this passage... Jesus Christ himself doesn't fulfill this. He supersedes it beyond our wildest imaginations. His power, authority, strength, abilities, characters is beyond anything you could guess or even make up. Okay? So, now that's there, let's stick into this passage. Man, I'm excited. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what God is like? You look to Jesus. He is the perfect image of God. In fact, he has been so eternally, which is a crazy thought. All of us are indeed in the image of God, but God's image was distorted in us, having elements of its original image, but missing its fullness. But Jesus is perfectly in the image of God in ways that you and I could never be. We're only a shadow of his likeness as he is the perfect image of the invisible God, indeed the perfection of the image of God. And he is a firstborn of all creation. What does this mean? This language may sound a little abstract for us. We don't live in a patriarchy kind of society, right? So what is going on here? Does this mean that Christ is Paul saying that he is the first, like, born? Like, he's not obviously the firstborn. People were born before him. So what is Paul referring to here? Well, in Psalm 89, listen how the psalmist writes about David. He says, this is Psalm 89, verses 20 through 27. He says, I found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so my hand shall be established with him. My arms shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. And he keeps going, talking about this this David, his servant, and he says this, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This shows that David was not the firstborn king of the world. By the way, if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, this is a great verse to memorize, right? Because they would say that Jesus is the firstborn of all, he was the first of created things, and Psalm 89 says, well, when the Bible says firstborn, David is not the firstborn king. This is a peculiar role that Christ has. It is a unique role that Christ has. Just like David held a very unique and special position among the kings of the world, as we saw in Psalm 89, right? In ancient patriarchal times, the firstborn son held a special place in the family. He would take up the staff of leading the family and would receive all the inheritance after the passing of his father. His brothers born after him would not hold such a position. When Jesus took on flesh, he was given humanity, skin and bones, just like you and I, the incarnation. And thus now as a man, he has become the most important man who has ever lived. His role, he's like that, the first of the firstborn. He will receive the inheritance of God's kingdom himself. And his role as the incarnation, uh, Carnation within God becoming man, he is now the firstborn 
of all of us. He is the most important and superior from all of us. And Paul continues to uh, expound upon this idea in verse 16. For by him, this is where things start getting crazy, all right? So listen to this. For by him, all things were created. Before I continue reading, I hope that your ideas of Jesus, okay, I hope they're grand and amazing and, and huge, but I pray that as we slowly read these verses, that whatever ideas you previously had about Jesus get even more blown up. I heard, I heard a pastor say this, that Jesus, um, it, it, he's like a fish, all right? I grew up in the South fishing all the time. I love fishing. I used to catch those, you know, those brim or whatever you have to kind of like hold because the, um, the fins are spiky, you know, so you kind of hold them down. But if you, if you grip too hard on those things, what happens? Things just bounce right out of your hand. They slide right out, right? So if you think that you grasp Jesus and you squeeze too hard and you try to say, I got him inside of a box and I don't understand everything, he's going to slip out of your hands because you'll realize that he is so huge and he's almost unfathomable. So I hope that happens to you this morning. Let's, let's look at this, what Paul says. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through Jesus Christ. Nothing exists that exists apart from Jesus Christ. So let me break this down. This is how I try to grapple with the Trinity. All right, maybe this is helpful. I told the PLI guys this a few months back, but he is known as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He's beginning with God, right? Word, the word word means reason or things gathered together in the mind and spoken aloud. And according to John, the Word of God became flesh, skin and bones, just like you and I. All of God's mind, his thoughts, and his heart became flesh itself. The word of God has pre-existed as the word of God for all of eternity past and will for all of eternity future. And according to Genesis 1, how did God create the world? He spoke things into existence. And God said, and God said is repeated continually throughout the first chapter of Genesis. He used words to create the world. Thus, by means of Jesus, God created this world. Nothing exists that was not created by means of Jesus Christ. Now, we see people building cars, building skyscrapers. We see like the uh, the, the, the companies like Amazon and Apple and Tesla that start off these little meager, you know, garage kind of companies to be what they are today. And we say, wow, we can do amazing things. These men did amazing things. These skyscrapers and these cars, these are amazing creations. And indeed, they are. When was the last time you looked at Saturn, Jupiter, the stars? When's the last time you saw a sunset, the ocean pounding the shore, mountaintops that reach above the clouds, when is the last time you saw the beauty of the desert sands, felt the incredible heat of summer and arctic cold of winter? When is the last time you were amazed at the heavy downpour of rain or the beautiful fluff of snow falling in the cloud skies, cold skies? These are things that man simply cannot recreate. We cannot. We have built cars of beauty and filled the night sky with, with a skyline full of lights and glory of our own creation, but we've never recreated the Grand Canyon. 
We've never built a better Mount Everest. This Jesus who walked the earth, he is responsible for this unbelievable beauty we observe in this world, unfathomable beauty. And that isn't all, because Paul says almost as a side note, all things were created for Jesus. Almost quickly as a side comment, Paul mentions what I think to be one of the most unbelievable few words of Scripture. All things exist for Jesus. They indeed have a purpose for their existence. They exist for a reason, and it is Jesus Christ. No wonder the winds and seas obeyed him when he walked this earth. They exist for him. He is their point of reference. This is what I mean. Uh, Well, we have GPSs in our phones today, but before this time, um, maybe hopefully you remember times before this, if you drove to a city um, or you're visiting somewhere and you have a friend there and you're trying to find something and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm lost, I don't know where I'm at. And what were their normal response? Well, tell me something around you, right? See a sign, I'm on the corner of First Ave, there's Bob's Bagels or something right here. Oh, well, you know, go over there from the bagel shop, take a little blah, blah. You ever been in that kind of scenario before, right, maybe? What you just did in that conversation was give somebody a point of reference. You said, this is right next to me. And they're like, oh, okay, now you can understand your surroundings. Now I know where you are, that I have a point of reference, okay? So Jesus Christ, if you ever looked around and ever had a question of just, why is this stuff here? How is the world so orderly? This is so unfathomable. How does it all exist? Why does it all exist? The point of reference for that question, says Paul, it's what the Greek is kind of pointing towards, is Jesus Christ. He is your point of reference for understanding why this world exists. There is no understanding of this world apart from Jesus Christ. This is the, the, the strength of Paul's words. So the next time you see something of unbelievable beauty, a sunset that has no words that you can explain, you can simply cry out, Jesus, this exists to bring you glory, to show your preeminence in this world, to show the glory of who you are as its creator, Jesus. So next time, stay in your front porch and yell it out, Jesus, when you see that sunset, all right? All right, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. All right, scientists, I just this popped up um, recently in my email box saying that they, they think they found the first you know, star that's ever existed, and it was something, you know, of course, their, their point of reference is the idea of a, of a Big Bang, right? So they're saying um, this star was, you know, potentially 400 or more million years old, and that was maybe the oldest thing of matter that has come about to existence. So whether or not you believe in those old ages or a Big Bang, you know, scratch all of that, the whole idea is think of the oldest thing you can possibly think of, and Jesus was before that. That's what Paul is saying. Is that old? Well, Jesus was before that. Right? Tim Bowditch, she's old, but Jesus was before Tim. Sorry. I didn't write that in my notes. I don't know where you are. That just kind of came out. Sorry. Jesus is before all things. Ah, Sorry. And in him, all things hold together. To the most subatomic particle, Imaginable, the world is literally held together by Christ. What this means is that when we examine the world through our modern day lens of science to try to understand how everything works, 
We can learn quite a lot. But science is only there to observe what is observable. God, the spirit realm in which Paul mentions in these passages right here, these verses, does indeed exist. Science can observe them. They won't talk about them. But they come up with, you know, understanding there's certain laws that govern our universe. And they do a, a fantastic job at describing that for us. What Paul is saying here is the order of things. Yes, there are certain laws in nature that keep things in order here. But Paul says beneath even those laws, those laws even exist. The order exists. It is sustained in its very state because of Jesus Christ. Another one of my favorite passages is the book of Hebrews at the very beginning. He says this, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but he's la- in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is what he says. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, similar language what Paul is saying, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The universe is upheld by the word of Christ. He sustains all of these things. Our planet is spinning right now, right? And yes, it may just be inertia that keeps it spinning, but Jesus himself is behind that. He sustains all of those things. All the characteristics of who he is is fully displayed, of who God is is fully displayed in his son by the power of the Holy Spirit All of God's very heart is fully displayed in Jesus Christ. And this is to say, I hope you understand, Jesus Christ is God. He he has the fullness of, of, of deity, okay? Paul says this, in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I should, I meant to bring a glass of water. If you had a glass of water, okay, and it was completely full, there was no gap, there's no space for anything else, the glass was completely full. There's no shortage of water in this glass. The vessel is completely full. You look at Jesus Christ, there's no shortage of God in him. That's what Paul is saying. He's completely filled to the brim with God. He is a full vessel. There is nothing of God not inside of Jesus Christ. It wasn't like there was 51% you know, of, of his humanity and 49% of God. That kind of idea is not there. He was 100% God and 100% man. The fullness of God was in Jesus Christ just as much as a glass that is completely filled to the top of the water. There's no room for anything else. He's full of God. So he and the Father is one, right? Along with the Holy Spirit, and yet Christ is still distinct from God. So it could be said of his person, the Trinity, the Son who has pre-existed in all times of eternity, in the incarnation, all of his deity was fully dwelling. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. Paul continues on to these just unbelievable statements. Verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of his, I skipped a verse, verse 18. I was so excited that I just kept going. We have to go back, guys. I don't think I've ever done that in a sermon before. That's okay. Verse 18. <laughs> wait, I was thinking, my notes, wait, 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 wait. We're missing something. This is something that is really, really important for me. I'm so excited to mention this. So let's go back. Verse 18. He is head of the body. This is so important. The church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then everything he might be preeminent. All right, so listen to this. 
Christ is the head of the body of the church. So I, I don't really like Christian radio. If you, if you do, I'm sorry, you know, that's one thing, but just bear with me. I turn it on. This is what I do when I turn on Christian radio. I listen for the word Jesus. When are they going to talk about Jesus? When will this song mention the name of Jesus? Because if it doesn't mention Jesus, how is this distinctly Christian? So I listen, and I listen. And I'm telling you, sometimes, most of the time, I just turn it off because I don't hear his name. It can be 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Where is Jesus? Where is he? I went to a church website recently. I saw the pastor's name all over the place. I couldn't find the name Jesus. What kind of church is this? Listen, if you want to know what a church is about, simply look for the name Jesus within its mission statement, its vision statement, on their website. Listen to a sermon that they're preaching. Listen for the name Jesus. It's unbelievable how churches can somehow be so wrapped up in ministry and be preaching sermons. You just don't hear the gospel or hear the word Jesus. He is head of the church. That means that here, amen. We don't have a senior pastor at our church, right? We haven't done it in a while, but we, we often look at an empty chair as we're sitting and we say, uh, as elders, and we say, this is Christ's chair. He's, he's head over this church. He runs this thing. All we do is for him. All we say and think and plan and all, everything that happens at Redeemer Fellowship is for Jesus Christ. This is his church. He is the head. So if you want to know the health of a church, I hope you have a good grid because it's Jesus Christ. He is head of it. Right? He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Right? Paul mentions this, that in everything he might be preeminent. One day... In John chapter 5, it says that we will all be resurrected in verse 28. Those who have done evil to judgment, but those who have faith in Christ to everlasting life, we will all be resurrected like Christ. But Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, has the privilege of being the very first to rise from the dead. He is not only the beginning of all things, but also he is the very beginning. This is so important to understand of Jesus and his role of why he came. He is the beginning of a future new age of mankind. His resurrection marks the beginning of what is to come, right? In this new heavens and new earth, we will be giving a body that will not perish. It will not be breaking down anymore, right? If you have infirmities today, you'll be given um, a, a, a body that's and the fullness human once again, with no more sick or, or sickness or, or disease or, or death or, or dying in Christ, was the first fruits of this, the, the firstborn from the dead, which makes him preeminent over all things. We look, who is superior? Who is on top? Who is above everyone else? Paul says, above all thrones or dominions or rulers of authorities. Who is that? Jesus says, I rose from the dead. I was the first that establishes my kingship, and I am preeminent over all things. That's what Paul says. We already talked about verse 19. That's pretty funny. Verse 20. <laughs> and through him, <clears throat> in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20. And in him, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. All things will be reconciled to Jesus. Uh, William Henderson, he's a commentator, he said it so perfectly. He said this, listen to this, it's a packed statement. Through Christ and his cross, the universe is brought back or restored to its proper relationship to God in the sense that as a just reward for the obedience of Jesus, he is, and is exalted to the Father's right hand from which position of authority and power he rules the entire universe in the interest of the church and to the glory of God. As a packed statement, what he is saying is, in summary, Christ, by reconciling all things back to the Father, whether on earth or in heaven, he is restoring things to its proper relationship. He's restoring things to where it, God wanted it to be upon creation. He is bringing it back to God's original design of creation. He is reconciling in himself all of these things back to his Father. And how did that process begin? He made peace by the blood of the cross. When Christ dealt with the problem of sin, he made peace with God on behalf of all the sinful mankind, of the elect, of those who have faith in him. The result, only in Christ can this world find its reconciliation back to God's original intention and design. There is no other way by man that man can be saved. There's no other way for this world to be restored or to be fixed or to be repaired. Only through Jesus Christ can what we see is broken in this world be reconciled back to its proper relationship, its proper state of creation. Romans chapter 8 says that all the creation is groaning for that day when it was fully restored and fully reconciled. And when Christ, when he came back from the dead and we saw a, a, a dead man, like his body was shut down, dead, decomposing. It was done, as we see in what, the way of life in this world. When he somehow reversed that himself and took matter, right, like matter is in his skin, like decaying, his, his decayed body said, I'm going to reverse this within this, this, this flesh and renew and restore and bring it back to life in a perfect state. That is a glimpse of God's plan for this world. And that is when all things be reconciled back to its proper existence and relationship, back to God the Father. So let's try to wrap up here on the back end. This is the Jesus who lived and died. History testifies to his existence. Millions in the past two millennia have testified to his salvation and renewal in their life. This is the supreme and immortal Son of God who humbly took on flesh. The one who spun the world into existence is the one who came eating and drinking with a hated and rejected and desperate of society. I'm going to read these two descriptions of Christ back to back. I love looking at this. You can't grasp him. He is so amazing. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 1. If I think you would have responded how John did in this passage. This is what John saw. End of his life. He's on the island Patmos. He saw a vision. Jesus appears to him. This is what John saw in his vision. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, 
clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. He ever stood before the ocean and just heard the roar of those waves. This was his voice. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What would happen if he appeared to you in light state? John says, when I saw him, I fell down as dead. <laughs> right? I think you would too. If he appeared to you in that way, you'd be like, whoa, oh, you would fall down as dead. Right? I'm going to die if I stand before this man. Who is this son of man? Wow, what glory we just heard of him. He laid his right hand on John saying, fear not. Listen to this. I am the first and the last. The alpha, the omega, the A to the Z. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. That is the Jesus Paul is talking about. This is also the Jesus Paul is talking about. Isaiah 53, who has believed what we have heard from us? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Wait, we just read this passage of Christ. His, son, his face is shining like the sun. But when he became a man, what kind of form did he choose? This big, muscular, six-foot, you know, tan body where he was just a head taller than everybody else and he had this big, deep voice and he had charisma. No, he took a form that was quiet, that people wouldn't look and say, wow, you're really, you know, you know I was laughing at that, the Passion of the Christ movie, you know, it came out so many years ago. It was a great movie, but... You know, Jesus was this, like, just perfect-looking man, right? It's just, you know, whatever. Like, that wasn't Jesus. He was, um, I should have brought that picture. Somebody actually reconstructed what the average um, uh, uh, G would have looked like in the first century. And it is nothing of, you know, it was just nothing of beauty, right? That's what he chose. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. This is the humble and quiet man of sorrows, who, who before kings did not raise his voice. A bruised reed he did not break. He did not snuff the flickering candle. He was not a man whose looks would have drawn you to him. He came washing the feet of his disciples, prostitutes in the abhorrent society, he fell at his feet, finding grace and hope in the midst of their sins. This is the fullness of who Jesus is, the God-man. And this is the question I leave you with after hearing all these wonderful things about Jesus from Paul, seeing who he is in his fullness. I hope you, you are amazed at who he is. What are you going to do with Jesus? This is your choice. You are faced with a dilemma today. Either all this talk of Jesus is true and thus demands all of your life, or it is false, and we are literally wasting our time. And I, as a preacher of the gospel, am wasting my life away preaching lies to you. There is no middle ground. It's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard it before. Listen to this. I am trying here, C.S. Lewis talking here, to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He is not, it's important, he has not left that open to us. He never intended to. If you are striving here today, trying to reconcile your own life and your own sin, and you find yourself in despair over your sin, if you feel weak, unaccomplished, and you have a very low opinion of yourself, if even this morning you woke up and did something so stupid that even sitting here you feel just dirty, if you have claimed to love Jesus but your life seems to be a train wreck, if you have faithfully been chasing after Jesus but your head is filled with continual doubts, that fly through your mind constantly, the answer is all the same for each of you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Come to him. He is the preeminent one. He is reconciling the world to himself. And as soon as you hide yourself in him, as soon as you let go of your name and your identity and embrace the fact that your life has been faded into his and you take that leap of faith and make Jesus the greatest love of your life, your Lord and your God and your Savior, today he's waiting to reconcile you back to himself. So as we close, when all seems lost at the last minute in all those movies we love, the hero comes running in, saves the day. He is coming back to indeed save the day, to reverse the evil in this world, and we await for that day. Let us pray. Jesus, Spirit, um, no sermon or no song or words cannot be spoken that can uh, uh, be impactful without the power of your Spirit. So Jesus, we, we, I, I beg your Spirit right now. Would he, uh, whoever's sitting here right now that just this, um, this hit home and that they needed to hear of just the glories of who Christ, of who you are. Holy Spirit, change that person sitting right now, Lord. Reconcile them back to yourself as a Christian through repentance and restoration of relationship, Lord, but as people who maybe are not quite there, who, who don't identify as a Christian yet, who isn't sure that for the very first time they would hear these things and, and embrace you as their Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for your glories. It is beyond comprehension. I pray as we um, enter in the time of communion and um, song that uh, you would just continue to amaze us with who you are. Praise this in your, uh, we pray this in your name. Amen.